Welcome to Pop On Leadership, a conversation with two friends who are obsessed with leadership development and the world of pop culture. So we decided to combine the two. I'm Kara Kirby. And I'm Virginia Martinez. We work with organizations all over the world to inspire and implement people-first practices. We're here to talk about navigating the workplace, and we do it through the lens of great television. Our first two seasons are dedicated to Ted Lasso. Join us as we unpack the leadership lessons in each episode. Let's get into it. Welcome back, everybody. We are kicking off season two of Pop On Leadership. And we are so excited. We um, took the summer off, but however, we put out a couple of bonus episodes for you all because we missed each other. We missed talking. We missed you all. And hopefully you heard those. But we are kicking off season two of Pop on Leadership with season two of Ted Lasso. Obviously. Hopefully you all saw that coming. So let's get into it. Episode one is called Goodbye Earl. Okay, we are going to stop saying this very soon, but please remember there are spoilers, okay? Um, (laughs) So so season two, episode one kicks off and like you already get these hints that things are clicking way better with the team, Mm. with leadership. There's like new relationships between Keely and Rebecca and Higgins and, and Ted and like things are gelling. You also realize that they haven't necessarily won a game. They've they're they've tied seven straight times. So they also haven't technically lost any games. Um, Yeah, so there's a lot going on here. I'm going to start it off sort of what this Goodbye Earl is about in that Danny Rojas, they're at practice, or they're in a game, and Danny Rojas is going to take the penalty kick. And this could give the team the first win. So there's a lot of pressure on this if he makes this goal. And you know Danny Rojas, football is life. So he kicks it, and as he does, the um, Richmond mascot, which is a dog, a greyhound dog, jumps off the leash brakes and somehow gets between the ball and the net. And you hear this like sad little whimper, and it's implied very quickly that Danny killed this dog on accident. Okay, so that is how this opens up. Um Danny's devastated. He like is now saying football is death. The team doesn't know what to do with him. He like cannot play. He's so sad. And that's a big theme of today. So I wanted to turn it over to you, Kara, because you you said that rewatching this episode actually pulled out like you saw new things this time around. Yeah, definitely. Also funny, I just I just thought that they are doing a callback to that old Dixie Chick song in this title. Right. You remember their song Goodbye Earl? I'm from Texas, so I probably had like a lot more country music in me than you. I I, I can't say that I know the Dixie Chicks well. I, I did applaud when they just renamed themselves the Chicks. Um, so I kept I kept up with that. But um, please tell us, tell us about. Oh, my God. No, this is this is so bad. This song would have never, never flown today. But no, it's all about this. It's like this story of how this woman's husband was being abusive. And it's called Goodbye Earl. <laughs> Oh. I definitely think they named it after that that Dixie Chick song because then Earl dies, right? So this song is all about these women murdering one of their husbands. <laughs> oh god! <laughs> okay, okay. Well, we'll you know the day that we have you know um, the producers on, we'll ask them <laughs> to clarify. Oh. Hey, hey, 
hey, hot, hot take, Virginia, not a Dixie Chicks fan back in the day. <laughs> I wouldn't say, yeah, I, yeah, I can't pretend. I'm not saying I have anything <laughs> against them. I just don't really know them. But um, okay, but so I guess the the takeaway is there's a lot of death lingering in the beginning. A lot of solemn solemnness yeah but you know re-watching this first episode um you know it's it's all about people shifting like uh, these first two is all about the shift right and sometimes your identity that you were before does have to metaphorically die for you to emerge and become somebody new for you to huh. evolve right? I know I'm getting deep on this. So I I mean, I think that they strategically had that dog pass away so that there could be an event where people transformed and became somebody new. And you'll see throughout these episodes that it, it, it really is about people transforming and becoming like a higher version of themselves. And, and, and they start it really artfully with this, with this death of a dog, because we see that Danny, even, even Danny, like who is, you know, he's our favorite. Well, he's my favorite besides coach beard he is such a magical person, but there's something in him that needs to evolve. And it takes this event of this dog dying for the evolution to happen because it also brings in Dr. Sharon. This is okay. This is awesome. I didn't, I didn't get this take at all, which I, I, this is why I love doing this and talking to you because, you know, I never know what you're going to say and I learned so much, <laughs> but no, I say that in a, in a good way, but same. <laughs> Yeah, that makes total sense now that you say, because Danny, you know, like we know Ted Lasso is super optimistic, but Danny's like in his own world, like just, and it's great because he's like a ray of positivity for everyone, but may not be always plugged into the realities. And so this moment really forces him to see that there's good and bad things that happen. Mm-hmm. And how is he, as Danny Rojas, going to process it? That's I. That's amazing. And the team too, right? Like the team is. I mean, they are a metaphor of operating in status quo. They've gotten to a certain point. They're not losing any games anymore, but they're not operating on their highest performance level. And so like the team is a symbol of status quo and like everything being good. And, and then it's the symbol of, of traumatic event happening. Not, I wouldn't say traumatic. I would say an event happening that's forcing a shift to happen on the team. And the rest of the season is all about that shift. Amazing. That's great. That is a great take. Yeah. And then, as you mentioned, it also introduces us to Dr. Sharon, mm-hmm. who's a psychologist, who Higgins goes ahead and um, invites to come because he was like, you know, he's director of operations. So it's within his. This was also really funny because, okay, so we learn that Ted is like a little like, and he even says it's skeptical of psychologists, doesn't really trust it doesn't trust psychology and then doesn't really love the idea of an outsider coming in to like analyze the team. And and we're not entirely sure if it's because he thinks it's, they're going to find something about him or whatever, but there was this exchange. I like, I just thought about, I just remember this, this exchange between Ted's like Higgins, you should have told me. And he's like, well, I'm telling you now. And he's like, never mind. Never mind. It's well within your rights as director of operations to do this. And so I thought about those moments, like, at work when like 
certain decisions are out of your control, right? And like, it is the person's responsibility and you have to trust them. And that's also really important too. Like, it's like this idea of like disagree, but commit. Have you ever heard that? Mm-hmm. Like, you yep. disagree with a decision, but you got to commit because you're also basing it on the trust uh, that you have for your colleagues that they're doing their job well. So that was a moment like that, that I thought was really f- funny, but brought it to life. Yeah, it was a it was an illustration of actually what happens all the time inside of our workplaces, right? Like, I love that term disagree, but commit, you have like the best sayings about the workplace. Um, But that that's a place that that people really struggle getting to. And they usually go to this place of we want complete consensus. I I see that a lot with my clients, is that people think that they they need to arrive at this place of complete commitment. And then you also have the people on the team that are like the naysayers. So they're always being, you know, they're always being the contrarian and like, they're not going to agree with anything. You have the people who just want to appease everybody. So there's these different dynamics of people's comfortability with, um, with empowerment and with decision-making and getting everybody on the same page. And, and what they, what I always, you know, I always see light bulbs go off in that moment where I'm like, you do, you can disagree, but still commit. Like it really doesn't matter that everyone doesn't agree. Like people don't have to agree. They just have to have their voices heard. Yeah. They have to have their voices heard. And at least I think have some understanding of the, the rationale behind the decision. Now, again, they could disagree, But I think if you're transparent as to like, look, these are our priorities and this is what we know. And therefore we decided to go this direction. And we acknowledge that some of you are in disagreement. I think that goes a longer way than just like making either decisions unilaterally or like not. Right. Um, Yeah. The consensus building too. you know, a lot of the work I do is around like, help us be more innovative, help us be more creative, you know, teams and organizations come to me and friends and ask us about that. But the consensus building is dangerous. Mm -hmm. Yes, I'll go ahead and say the word dangerous, or at least unproductive, because innovation requires you to pivot, it requires quick decisions, it requires a level of risk taking. And it's set up in a way if you do it well, like you can take small risks, so you're not creating big failures. But if you are a type of culture that has to build sort of unanimous consensus before any decision is made, like it's going to be really hard to be innovative. I'm just telling you. Okay. Hot take. Hot take. Yeah. Hot hot take. Figure out a way to disagree, but commit. (laughs) But yeah, I was going to say, but it's interesting is that Ted's internal struggle whenever um, Higgins brings in, in a concept that he's uncomfortable with his internal struggle. That's a very real thing that happens for leaders. Um, Has that ever happened to you before? Like, yeah, I think, I mean, I can't think of an exact example, but absolutely where I have to sort of put my ego in check and say, mm-hmm. like, okay, hold on a second. Like, that is absolutely their responsibility and within their remit and what the ro- their role is supposed to be doing. So I always talk about sort of like this, like, um, ebb and flow of like influence and execution. Like there are certain things within your role that you are responsible for executing on and also in your role that things that you can influence others. So like I, like Ted Lasso might be able to influence Higgins decisions, but ultimately it is Higgins decision. Mm -hmm. And so I think keeping in mind, like, well, what is it like, where's the ebb and flow of where I'm influencing this decision versus deciding it, executing on it. And not letting your ego go into it too much, right? Mm-hmm, definitely. 
yeah, I had on one of one of my teams, I had, you know, we couldn't hire any more people, but our workload was way too much for our team. Like they were just drowning every day. And so like everyone had these very specific tasks that they were doing for like the overall, you know, mission of our team. And so I brought everybody together for a team meeting and I said, you know, like this is our this is our problem to solve. Like we don't have enough people and this organization is growing and we were responsible for, you know, like onboarding and assimilating and and teaching every new person that moved into the organization. And we, and I said, you know, our team isn't big enough. We're not going to get any bigger. So how can we reimagine the, the workflow so that we can get all this done? And so like, I kind of had in my mind, like what was going to happen. So anytime you, any, anytime you do anything like that, you really should take yourself out of the solution. Like ideally what you should do, if you are working with a group of people, it's that you fully trust that the answer is inside of the room and that they are going to come up with the best decision. Because honestly, if your team doesn't come up with the best decision themselves, and they're not going to be bought in, and then you're going to run into all sorts of roadblocks later down the road. So ideally, what you want to do is let them come up with, with the ideas and come up with the decision so they'll be bought in. But I did have in the back of my mind of like what the solution was going to be. So we laid it sticky notes, we did ideation, all the, all the things. And at the end, the conclusion was to keep doing things the same way, right? Because everybody wanted to. And I was like, huh, that did really did not go as planned that what was going to happen in my mind. But I said, you know what? Like, actually, I probably, I might have been wrong. So I'm like, you guys are empowered. So we're just going to, we're going to go with what you decided is the best way to do this. And yeah, but it's still hard is what I'm saying. Like yeah. that, that moment that Ted has with Higgins of no, you're empowered, but I don't think that that's the right idea, but you're empowered. I, I have felt, I felt that so deep in my soul. Yeah. And confession time, you know, there, there are some past clients that I worked with that when we're like, okay, so um, if you want to find new innovative solutions to these like same old problems, you can't have the same old answers. So let's like outsource <laughs> a little bit, right? Let, let's, let's have some brainstorms. Let's host some brainstorms across the organization or in within the team. And that's when people are like, hold on a second, because oh, yeah. they can already predict that moment that you're talking about like but like what if their ideas are not mine I'm like that's the point <laughs> that's oh it's always so it took me so long to get comfortable with other people's uncomfortability in that situation because and now that I'm you know like it's my whole job and and people want to do like an idea I'm like this is going to be uncomfortable but you have to trust that your people have better answers than you do and they're like what but I'm you know, they still are still working with these old paradigms of leadership where they're supposed to have all the best ideas and then cascade them down to other people inside the org. Right. But so to flip that is, is always going to like, it's going to, it's going to create tension because like, as we see in this episode, right, it's conflicting with somebody's identity. So that moment of, of like, let's get the ideas, let's reimagine this. It's, it's so, it's so interesting how it's awkward every single time. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's why I say like, that's the the sort of, you know, in, in design thinking, people write down their ideas on a post-it. And it's like one idea per post-it. And like, yeah, that's, there, there's a, there's a method to that madness. And one of it is like, don't attach yourself to something that could be crumpled up or thrown away. Like it's, you know, there's something kind of magical about the movie, like letting it go versus like building up an idea in your head. And then like, once you hear something else, you suddenly feel threatened or uncomfortable or something like that. So yeah, 
Okay, that's yeah. Uh, anyway, we didn't expect to go on that little Higgins um, head <laughs> tangent, but I thought it was a really nice moment that you do see in the workplace quite a bit. Speaking of things we see in the workplace quite a bit, Nate at the end oh, of the season goodness. was promoted. Right, he got a promotion. He's now part of the coaching team, which means they had to. I, f- I forget what they call. It's like the equipment manager, kit guy. There's like a name for the guy in the locker room who like makes sure all the jerseys are clean and towels are clean and everyone's got water. Right, and what we see is Nate is being really, I would say, beyond tough really just rude to the new equipment manager. Oh, he is on a power trip. He's on a power trip. Yeah. And so what, what can we talk? Cause this is common as well. You get promoted. You're given a little bit of power that you've never had that you've desired for a long time. And now you don't know how to behave. I think that this is um, the most common thing that we see inside of humans working together with other humans inside of work. (laughs) He's somebody who's the top performer, gets promoted, and Ted thinks that he's been training Nate, but he really, like, him and Beard have, like, this very passive-aggressive kind of training program where they're like, oh, well, people will see how great we are, so they'll understand the underlying themes behind our methods, but that's not the case. Like, Nate needs a book, (laughs) but they promoted him into a leadership role and didn't give him any training, they didn't give him any tools, and now he's just flopping all over the place and totally getting in his own way like we see happen over and over again inside of corporate america yeah this happens all the time this is why there's like so much um so many boot camps out there for new managers is because sadly it doesn't exist within organizations like organizations themselves don't realize that this transition moment to um, being an individual contributor to say to like managing people is such a vulnerable transition and there's not enough um, support or scaffolding put in that moment. And so to your point, right? Like Nate's like, Hey, you're doing great. You're promoted. And now it's like, it's funny. Cause he's like, got a lot to figure out. He's got to figure out his own leadership style. How is he going to do this? I also think not to get too into the psychology. Nate wants to keep proving how deserving he is. Mm-hmm. He still remains really insecure. But don't you think that's the crux of what happens with every newly promoted leader? Yeah. Like what like, you just said like, is so brilliant. Yes. Well, I mean, I guess maybe it's a form of imposter syndrome with Nate going on there. He thinks he's undeserving, but he's really insecure. And so it comes out as being a jerk, mm-hmm. right? Um, you would th- – and, th- and then what's interesting is like Ted and Beard are like, dude, we like already proved to you that we value you. Like we promoted you, didn't we? Like, I mean, they're not saying that, but they're kind of like, what's going on here? Whereas that's still not enough for Nate. Like he still hasn't shaken this insecurity. And so he needs to, I don't know. I think he's being so rude and mean to the new equipment manager to like differentiate, like you're not like me. Like, yes, I was promoted from that role, but that's because I'm unique. I'm special. I'm special versus saying like Ted and Beard see potential in others and you have a path of growth here. right? (laughs) But (laughs) <laughs> anyway, that, that's going to play out this and this plays out like this is the seeds of season two. This plays. Why are you? Did I say something? I cried. What did I say? 
Like, can you imagine if Nate was so evolved, like right after the bat, if he said exactly what you said, if he was like, you're doing great things. So we see your potential, just like they saw the potential in me. Yeah. Like, oh, you used lavender scented softener. In these I never had that idea. What a great idea. You're really adding value here. <laughs> no, instead, he's like, lavender like what the fuck you're gonna distress the players like you can't introduce anything new that was the thing he's like you can't introduce anything new like he got upset oh my about that lavender scented towels i think i'm like giving away episode two you know anyway jumping ahead but the point is <laughs> nate is on a power trip and we're gonna see this kind of um it, it'll be interesting we know what ted and beer do or don't do to call it out or, or rein it in or support him um, and how it plays out. So yeah, it's a big thing in season two. Yeah. And we're going to talk a lot about um, feedback in the moment of whenever you see that situation. And one of my favorite topics too, is how do you lead leaders? Like just as important that transition of moving from an individual contributor to a leader, that transition of or that, that point of, now, you know, like you think Coach Beard, he's now leading leaders. Like that's his role. He's moved up the pipeline. So what do you do in that situation? Because guess what? It's not like giving a bad review once a year. You have to catch things in the moment and, and help people understand their behavior. So we'll see, like, we'll be able to talk about that a lot because that's something that, you know, everybody needs to really think about and think about the opportunities where they can do that. Absolutely. And we see Beard try, but it's like not... It's not direct enough. Mm -hmm. However, speaking of direct feedback, mm. speaking of radical candor, speaking <laughs> of clarity as kindness, our boy Roy Kent basically is embodying many of Brene Brown's <laughs> life lessons. <laughs> so another quick thing just here in this episode as well, we find out that Rebecca is sort of putting herself back on the market and started dating. And this like little subplot that happens is that she convinces Keely to like go on a double date. So Keely and Roy and then Rebecca and this guy she's dating. And Keely, who's a we we also see that they're close friends now. It's like, yeah, he's nice. He's nice. You know, Rebecca's like, tell me what you think. And he's like, he's nice. He's nice. And Roy's like, fuck that. Like, yeah, he's fine. He's fine. Full stop. But you deserve more than fine. You deserve someone that makes you feel like you've been struck by lightning. And like, Ugh, th that requires... What a powerful statement. So one, clarity is kindness. This is one of Brene's lessons, right? And then the other one is that he basically kind of gets her to realize, like, I need to be courageous here. I need to be brave and make myself vulnerable, right? Mm -hmm. So that's another big um, lesson. So we also know that this actor and Brene Brown like get together. <laughs> They've connected <laughs> off the screen. So I'm sure Brene already sees her own um, influence. Running, influence and philosophies running through this character. But yeah, clarity is kindness. Um, and that can be scary as well to give feedback that direct. Mm -hmm. But there's no question like when he's saying it that yeah, it's blunt, but Rebecca knows it's coming from a good place and because Roy really, truly wants the best for her. And that's what radical candor is, is, yeah. you know, say like saying things, saying the truth, but always making sure somebody knows that it's coming from the best place possible. Like you can really, if, if you have the best intentions and you're trying to help somebody and you're not just trying to like impose your views, like so often happens in the world, 
like you can, that is, that is the place that you want to live whenever you're giving feedback. The reason why feedback goes so poorly all the time is because people are, you know, like they either don't care about the person or they just are so scared of telling the truth. Like Keely, right? Like mm-hmm. Ke- Ke- Keely will, you know, Keely's kind of skirting around just because she wants Rebecca to be happy. She doesn't want to hurt her feelings. Like that's also not helpful. So Roy's being very helpful in that moment. I just thought about this too, is that there's, that's the other theme of status quo, like, right. So the yeah. team's not winning. Um, also we see the status quo of Rebecca saying, should I accept status quo and just kind of like do something at all? Yeah. 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 And, and we see this a little bit um, with the introduction of Dr. Sharon as well to kind of push on this status quo. Um, Whenever you first saw this episode, did you freak out a little bit that they were about to start talking about mental health and Ted Lasso? Because I did. <laughs> oh, you mean Ted Lasso's mental health or overall the topic no, of overall, health? overall, like putting in this like mental health and talking about how like therapy can transform people's lives. Like I was like, oh, shit, this is happening. They're about to introduce like this amazing concept into this amazing show. I'm going to lose my mind. Like, this is awesome. Yeah. I thought it was really interesting one. Cause we don't really fully know it, it for two, two reasons. One for the very similar reasons as you like, yes, the people, we should be talking about mental health more as much as we talk about physical health. Right. Like, and especially like here, you got a, a sports team. So having those two things in balance is really important, not just for them, but every single human. And also, like, you're like, okay, where's this going to go? Because we don't know too much about Ted. What We know mm-hmm. that he's repressing something, right? Or everything. <laughs> everything. Because in season one, he had those panic attacks. We know a little bit about his relationship with his dad. So I'm also like, oh, is this going to be the plot device that gets us to really uncover Ted, who's really, like, buried things so deep so yeah i i i I was pretty excited when we met dr sharon also she's amazing like i love her she's (laughs) such a force she's like the person i want to like i mean i could never be here because i'm too much of a goofball but like like that's like the kind of person i like want around me i'm just like yeah give it to me straight (laughs) yeah a little no nonsense (laughs) little no nonsense for for a nonsense kind of gal (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. I know. And I know we're coming to the end of this, this episode here, but it's also, I just love <laughs> that he can't help but call her. Hey doc, what's up doc? Hey, and then doc. She's like, he's like, it's Dr. Sharon Fieldstone. Like, you know, or it's like, it's doctor. Like don't. And then by the end, like she starts warming up to him a little bit and puts her own. And she's like, okay, you can call me doc. Cause I think also she realized like this guy's never going to get it. <laughs> Um, and then, yeah, it may, like also she keep it's like any of Ted's little weird things. She just straight up calls him out. Like whenever they're having, so they have this conversation about how, so Danny Rojas gets traumatized after he kills that dog. Right. And he doesn't like know how to move forward. So they all, they're all really scared. They don't use this word cause there's superstition around it, but they're like, he's got the yips. And then Dr. Sharon walks in and she's like, he doesn't have the yips. He has something inside of his mind that we can overcome and he'll be totally fine. And they're like, oh, like, you know what I mean? She's disrupting these thought patterns that they've probably been using for the past 20 years. And even with Ted, like, so there's another point where Ted brings her biscuits, just like he did with Rebecca to try to win her over. And she's like, 
Ted, are you doing this as a defense mechanism? She's like, I don't need biscuits. I don't eat sugar. <laughs> and he's just like, oh, I don't know what to do with this. I guess I, I have to approach the situation differently because this woman can see straight into my soul. And then he walks out. Oh, my God. That part. And then, so Ted walks out and then there's a player that walks in, which this is really a big conflict for Ted because you know, he's always, I think, thought of himself as the person that can fix everybody. So he, they they walk into, t- into Dr. Sharon's office and she starts speaking their language, just like a straight up boss. <laughs> I was like, this character's the best. That she's connecting with his players in ways he can't and that mm-hmm. that's eating him up. I also love that. Yeah. To, to your what you said that she just names it. She's like when he brought the biscuits and she's like, so this is what you do. She goes, I can see why it works. You just use charm to z- disarm people. I could see how, why that would work for you. Like, but it's stating it's not working for me, but I get that this is your, like, the way you move in the world. And, like, he's like, ah, like, it's just, it's just so direct in a way that he's probably never had anyone just size him up so quickly um, and accurately. Um I just okay the la- the last thing on my list here that I want to talk about I know we're jumping around a little bit but you know here Danny eventually Danny goes to see Dr. Sharon like they don't know if he's going to he he's like missing every kick like it's a problem but um eventually like th- talking to Dr. Sharon he comes around but as the diamond dogs were meeting like what are we going to do about Danny there was something really interesting that Nate said that was like again oh, on yeah. his tour trip that was like well, if Danny needs motivation, just show him his goddamn paycheck. Kind of like remind him, like, we're paying you money, so now perform. And Ted didn't love that idea. He's like, well, I don't know. And then he's, <laughs> he's, he's like, mm, he's kind of like, mm. again, a moment where he could have given more direct feedback to Nate about what was sort of not liked about that. But <laughs> Ted does say one of the best lines. It's like, well, I don't want to bring an umbrella to a brainstorm. <laughs> But we, do, we, we we start seeing, this is an interesting sort of, like, where all things are kind of these roads are meeting. We've got Nate's power trip. We've got Danny, you know, with, with the, like, sort of in his head. We've got Ted not giving hard, the hard feedback or avoiding the conflict, but then also sort of dropping these wonderful gems. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then the last thing for this episode, and this is going to be a common theme, is, is again, it's all about identity shift and transformation. We're also seeing Roy's transformation. So Roy is now retired and he doesn't know what to do with himself. And he does not, he also doesn't want to be vulnerable and try something new. So Keeley's trying to help him through this and become a pundit where you know he's talking about the the football games instead of being in them so she finally gets him to that point but it's it's you know roy's identity throughout these episodes is going to be a very very big topic in the season yes it that's a great point because this first episode they kind of have to sort of transition you from season one to season two so they give you a lot of clues of like what's working well and and where we last left off with roy right he um retired and we, we, you know, we talked about in season one of this podcast, like how he wrapped up his identity and being this amazing footballer that he's like kind of still figuring himself out and had to cut football out almost entirely. Um, so it'll be interesting to see his arc in this season and sort of how he becomes whole. Yeah. Well, folks, we're back. <laughs> 
<laughs> that concludes our season two, episode one of Pop on Leadership. We're so glad to be back. Um, please, if you are enjoying it, go wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, give us some stars. I, hopefully five stars. If you really like it, leave us a review. We love it. We're going to start reading those reviews very soon. And um, tell your friends. So thank you for listening. All right. See you next week, everybody. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we want to keep the conversation going. Share your leadership stories with us, whether they're dreams come true or some nightmares you want to talk through. You can visit us at poponleadership.com or over at Instagram at poponleadership. And a very special thanks to our friends and family who have supported us from the beginning and to Pam Rodriguez who helped make this crazy dream a reality. Thank you. See you next time.